Appreciate the opportunity to uh, speak to you this morning. Hope what I'm saying will say to you will be edifying. And uh, Brian picked a short song. We have offering was over with quick. That must mean y'all know I have a tough time staying on time. So uh, <laughs> Judy's back there to do this at the right time, though. So just so you all know that. So many of you know that. Um, I enjoy watching the wonders of the sky, so it wouldn't surprise you that several years ago, we lived in South Carolina, there was predicted a full solar eclipse, which is a pretty rare event to be close enough for you to see. So I actually made arrangements to have a spot where I could go about an hour from the house or so, but as the week moved on toward the, mon you know, toward the weekend and the Monday of the solar eclipse, the weather forecast was like, we're going to have clouds. So... Got to have a new plan. So I actually ended up driving 12 hours to Middle Tennessee to a neighbor or to a, a, a relative's house in order to be able to see the eclipse. And so the eclipse happened and got my pictures and, and did all those things that were there. And we're sitting at dinner that night and at a local pizza restaurant. And I've got my phone and stuff starts coming on Facebook. People are going, hey, Greg, I saw this picture of the eclipse. Have you put your pictures up yet? And so this, here's a, here's a picture of the eclipse that, uh, that showed up. Isn't that a wonderful picture right, obviously taken from space. Somebody NASA got that picture. And more pictures showed up. Here's the eclipse right at sunset. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Right at the dark line where it was turning to night, that picture was taken there. And look at this array of pictures. I mean, you know the planning it takes to get somebody perfectly framed inside of the eclipse and being at the right place. It's just amazing. The planning that happened. And so I was getting all these pictures from my friends, and uh, my pictures weren't ready to be, to be talked about yet. And I said, well, there's, there's a little problem with all of these pictures. They're all fake. And I could tell you why it's easy. It should be easy for anyone, not even someone who watches the skies, to have told they were fake. But they were all fake. And I had dozens of friends and family on Facebook sending me pictures of these fake pictures from websites, look at the eclipse. And it's clear that those websites were lying to them, right? So why do people fall prey for that? You know, I've got friends who like all kinds of things they send me on Facebook. Magnificent cherry blossom tree at the Mount, at the Mount Fuji. Now that's a real picture um, taken by some site called Wilder Move. And so you kind of investigate, well, who are these picture people showing these pictures that my friends are sending to me? And fortunately today, Facebook has to reveal a little bit more about the sources. And so here's a picture running from a page manager, if you can see that circle part there, who's in Sri Lanka, okay? Now, I am sure Sri Lankan people love pretty pictures. So that's no, no judgment at all on Sri Lankan people. Uh, people. But I also happen to know from my years in IT that there's a nice hacking operation that's, opera that's in Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka as well. I wonder if this is a legitimate site or not. Now I have, I have relatives particularly that love to send out recipes and recipe pages. I don't know if your Facebook gets crowded with recipes. Mine does. I block recipe sites. I'm so sick of seeing recipes. Now, Judy gets mad at me for that, but I tell her, if you want to see recipes, get your own Facebook page and stop working on mine. I'm going to block recipes. <laughs> Here's a recent one that came here. Grandma's recipes. I mean, look at what's in that picture. Sausage pie, strawberry banana shortbread, 
And that's not only banana pudding. If you look closely, it's banana pudding tacos. Banana pudding tacos. What could be better than that? I wonder where Grandma lives. Well, Grandma lives in Morocco, in North Africa. I wonder. Good Southern Grandma in Morocco. Maybe she's an expat. Maybe there's something else going on here. Turns out Morocco is the source of a lot of recipes going around the internet. The do-nothing cake made from scratch, you named it, Morocco. And here's an interesting little fact if you look through the pieces here. This site started, the name of the site was called Peace Lovers. Now it's called Grandma's Old Fashioned Homemade Recipes. I guess people weren't sharing enough peace-loving things, so how do you get people to share your stuff? Well, let's turn it into recipes, and people will share it instantly. And who doesn't like doggy videos, right? How many viral doggy and cat videos do you get? Here's one I got just last week, dog going down a slide. Now, I can assure you I did not push that button to see the dog going down the slide, because the first thing I do when I get one of these, who is the world of awesome pictures? The world of awesome pictures is in Slovenia. That's in Eastern Europe. Anybody want to guess what happens in Eastern Europe with IT? It's where all the hacking comes from. That's where the guys who started Google came from, just, just so you know. I get this message an awful lot on Facebook from people. I've been hacked. Please don't accept any messenger requests from me. And you know what I say when I get one of those messages? Now, this is going to sound unkind. And I don't send this back to those people, but if you have sent that message to me, it's, I apologize. I say, of course you've been hacked. Look at what you've been doing. You've been sharing sites where people are trying to fool you into sharing their site to get some information about you. Of course, that turns out to your hacking. Why do hackers do this? What do they do? Hackers inherently are built to deceive people, to make you think you're doing one thing when you're actually doing something else. They alter their identity. I'm a peace lover or I'm grandma giving you a recipe. They secretly will plant malware on your computer. They actually will learn what you like and then they'll use that against you. They get at you through your friends. They ultimately are exchanging the truth for the lies and the more uninformed and unprepared you are, for what they're doing, the better off they are. Because they can get you to share that recipe site, they'll learn something about you and about your friends, and they actually can use that information ultimately to create a hack. Now, is this a sermon about hacking? Might be useful to you to know some more about that. And I hope that you haven't been hacked because hacks can lead to someone impersonating you online, and that can be embarrassing. It can actually lead to someone actually getting into your credit cards or your computer accounts or ultimately your bank accounts. So there's a lot of things going on there, but we're not going to spend any more of our time today talking about hacking our computers. That little analogy up front of what's going on with people trying to deceive us is really part of a bigger idea that your faith and my faith is the target of spiritual hacking. And that's what this lesson is about today. How are we trying to be hacked in our faith by the world around us, the tools that are available to the world around us, and how do we approach that? How do we become more informed so that we don't fall victim to these hacks? Now we're going to get to, in just a couple of weeks, Jesus talking on the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, 
Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Guess what? Hacking isn't new. People trying to deceive us isn't new. It's been happening almost since the dawn of time, since truly the dawn of time, when, when, when Satan deceived Eve. Jesus was specifically talking about those erroneous religious leaders and that in, in all honesty, they weren't leading the people toward God, they were leading them away from God. And that's what he was specifically talking about. But do you see how the principle of when somebody enters your life to try to deceive you, to do something negative to you happens, that's hacking, and it's never for your own good. So, I'd like to start with the parable of the tares. And we don't have a lot of time in this sermon this morning to read through a lot of the, 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 uh, the passages here, so I'll summarize the first part of the parable for you. You know it, you've read it before. A man sows a field with wheat. An enemy comes at night and sows tares, sows weeds, into the field. His servants are in the field when the seeds have all come up, and he goes, Master, an enemy has come and sown these tares. What do we do about it? So that's the parable of the tares, the first part of it. Fortunately for us, Jesus interprets that parable, that parable very specifically. We really don't have to guess what this is at. So I'll put up this verse because I want you to jump to Jesus' conclusion about why he was telling this story. He said, the one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. The tares are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. Okay, so here's our first idea I'd like for us to walk away with. The parable of the tares teaches us that in this field of the world where we as the children of the Son of Man have been sown to grow into this field, an enemy is also sowing in the very same field of the world, and that enemy, Jesus says, is the devil. He is the spiritual hacker. He is the one putting all this evil around us, and that evil, quite frankly, has you and I as their target because Satan doesn't need to convert it deceitful people. He's already got them. It's us that he's after. And don't we see this happening every day? If you've got enough stomach to watch the news, what's on the news? Is it any surprise to you that, let's just take our society in America, a society that devalues marriage. Now we see that devaluing the actual, not just the roles of men and women, which have been devalued for a long time, but what are we trying to devalue now in our country? The gender of men and women. Confuse all of that. People who practice violence on our streets and unfortunately in our schools, in our grocery stores, all that stuff that's happening around us. It's not a surprise to us the devil is, is, is behind that. We know that. But how do you react to that? How do I react to that? I want to do something about it, don't you? How do I stop this hacker? How do I keep that from happening? What can I do to change the world that I live in to keep all this evil away from us and keep it at bay? Go on with the parable of the tares. Back into the parable now. The servant said to the master in the parable, do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, no. 
lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat. Let them both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather the tares and bind them into bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now Jesus further interpreted this part of the parable and said, the harvest is the end of the age, the reapers are the angels, and this is what's going to happen when Jesus comes back again, right? I mean, that's, that's where he takes us directly to. One back here. Where in that parable does the Lord give you and I the responsibility for rooting up tares? To get rid of the evil that's around us. It's okay to be concerned about it, but where is that our responsibility? To go rip up the evil that's in our society and try to make our society a better society. It's not there. So why, therefore, do we, and by we, I mean I, waste time and energy worrying about how we're going to uproot the tares? How we're going to uproot them in our country? How we're going to restore it back to the good old days that we, that we think about here? If I just get the right political candidate, we're going to get rid of some of these tares. We just get the right people on the Supreme Court. They're going to restore this nation to good moral principles. Rich and powerful like Elon Musk, he's going to restore all this social media so that our Christian message can get out and not be blunted by what's going on in the world. Or if you just watch the right news channel, you get everything you need to know to make the right decisions to get rid of all these tears. Despite of the fact that we want things to be like some ideal world that we imagine in our head, and as older we get, the more ideal it looks looking back, oftentimes. Restoring some world to some ideal world in our head is not our goal as, or our mission as Christians. That's just not what God has asked us to do. The parable of tares says he'll take care of the tares when he takes care of the tares. We got to be on another mission. We have to understand as Christians, as depressing as it gets and as it is right now, I can tell you, looking at the world and looking at how sin is encroaching into our families, into our church, into the neighborhoods that we live, there are going to be evil people doing evil things when Jesus comes again, and we can't do anything about that fact. And how evil can it get? Judging from history, it can get pretty bad. Still to make it our job to how are we going to go get politically active enough, get in the right places to get the right things to happen so that we can blunt all of these things. That just isn't the job that we have. Does that mean we shouldn't try to be a good influence? Does that mean we shouldn't object to? No, it doesn't mean any of those things. It means that putting our focus on what's it going to take to restore our nation is the wrong spot to put our focus. And if we put our focus there, by the way, guess what has happened to us? We've been hacked. If the devil can get us to look away from our real job to do some other job, he's hacked us. He's got us. What did Paul tell the Philippians? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may be blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. 
Now, is there anybody who doesn't think we live in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation right now? Every day it becomes more obvious. I probably would tell you we probably already have. People like me who are getting into their 60s just don't know when I was in my teens it was crooked and perverse, like some of you who are a little older than me. And, but as you look back in your 50s, it was crooked and perverse too. But it does seem to be a whole lot worse than I ever remember it now. What does, what does Paul tell the Philippians to do in the middle of a Roman generation that was more crooked and perverse than we are right now? Most assuredly. What does he tell them that their job is? To shine as lights in the world. Not to fix that part of the world. Not to see if you can overthrow the Roman government and get a new government that will act better. Shine as lights in the world. You see, brothers and sisters, we are the contrast to the darkness. And if we're not the contrast, why would anybody be attracted to the light? The darker it gets, the easier it is to see what's light. And that's what our mission is. And that, I think, is ultimately the parable of the tares telling us don't get off mission just because you look around you and you don't see things going the way you want them to go. One of the most effective prophets in the Old Testament, one of the people, I mean, how effective does God need you to be before he'll actually take you directly to heaven without going through death, like Elijah went? Do you remember what happened to Elijah when he got off mission? After Mount Carmel? After he surely when he when God rained down the fire on Mount Carmel and proved that he was the true God, the people of Israel are going to turn back to God. Nobody turned back. And what did Elijah do? He went to a cave, and quite frankly, he pouted. But woe is me. In fact, he said this statement twice in four <laughs> verses. I don't know if it's just under his breath to himself or he's saying it to God. I can't really tell from the context, but he was saying it and God heard it. I've been zealous for our Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets. I alone is left and they seek to take my life. Do you and I get the Elijah syndrome sometime? The world is going absolutely to pot. Nobody's listening to us. There's just a very few of us that are trying to serve God, and I'm just tired of this. Remember what God did? He did two things here. We all remember the thing he said, you're not alone. There's 7,000 people that are still serving me. Now, there were still millions of people in Israel. 7,000 ain't many in the middle of millions, but they wasn't, Elijah wasn't alone. So everybody wasn't turning away from God. And he did one other very important thing. Let me paraphrase. Elijah, get up and get to work. He gave him three tasks to do specifically. And he said, go get it done. How do we deal with the world around us when things are looking bad? We got to get up and get to work. And that's all there is to it. So first part of the lesson, don't get hacked into thinking we're going to change this world. We're not. So what are we supposed to be doing other than shining forth as life to being a contrast to the world? One of the reasons we're a light is we want to attract others to what we have. So there's another parable Jesus tells, another um, a parable about, uh, about uh, growing, uh, growing things. And we know it, parable of the sower. Again, we're going to jump into this in a few weeks in our class, so I'm not going to go over the parable. You know the parable of the sower almost by heart, I'm sure. So 
I'd like to you as you think of, for you as you think about the parable of the sower to pair together the parable of the sower in your mind with what Jesus said in Matthew 28 to the apostles, where he said, go into all the world to preach the gospel to every creature. If you believe it's baptized, will be, you know it, right? He went and said that. What did he tell them to do? Go be sowers of the seed, right? So he told them to be sowers, and we would look at that and say, and that means he told us to be sowers. And so I would offer to you, here's our job. Be a sower. When you look at the parable of the sower, you learn one really important fact, that all the work that you do as a sower is not going to be effective. Only one-fourth of the parable is about effective spreading of the gospel, right? When it falls into good hearts and it takes root and it bears fruit. We're not going to focus on that today, but that is our main job right there, is to be able to sow enough seeds so we find the good heart to do that. The other part of the parable of the sower tells us three ways the devil is going to try to hack us from doing that work. So I'd like for us to look at that real quick. When Jesus interpreted the parable of the sower in verses 19 through 21, he told us three ways that the devil is working to hack us or to hack the effectiveness of the word that we're spreading. The first one is the evil one comes and snatches it away. Never gives the word a chance to have root in someone's heart. That's way number one, that hacking goes on. The rocky places, what was, how did Jesus interpret the seed going into the rocky places? When affliction and persecution arises, the plant withers. It has no root. It can't stand up to that. Affliction and persecution, isolation of God's people, persecuting God's people, has always been a hacking method of the devil. And the more we feel in our society today that people are beginning to persecute us because we really don't believe this whole gender story, or we really don't believe just because you think that you're that you need to have a partner who's of the same sex, that you actually are entitled to that, or that you think that you can divorce and remarry as many times as you have. All those societal messages we talk about, it's beginning to be uncomfortable to preach those very openly right now. That's persecution and affliction coming at us, collaring us the intolerant people. Thirdly, Seed sown among the thorns. What's the hacking method there? Use the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches to choke out the word. So what does Jesus tell us about the hacker we face in this parable? We already know from the parable of the tares he's sowing evil people. We find in this that he will test us as hearts of men where the seed is growing in our hearts. He will test us in these three ways. Is it really implanted in their heart or are they just going through the motions? Is it deeply rooted? Can it withstand the hot Arizona sun as, as, it, as it were without withering? And does it have any room to grow in their lives or is it crowded out by cares of the world, maybe even cares of how bad the world's getting and deceitfulness of riches? We could talk a long time about all the ways that the devil has tried to do that in our lives and done that, but this is a short lesson and we've got maybe another 10 or 12 minutes here left. So I want to I turn to one very specific application now, given those general thoughts that I'd like for you to go away and just think about. How is the devil trying to hack me in my life? How is he trying to distract me? 
I've, end of this lesson is some, actually just some quite specific warnings. And if you don't need these warnings, that's great. I need these warnings, so I'm preaching to me. Our old enemy is using new tools, and he always uses new tools as new tools become available. And by the way, tools are just tools. They're not good or bad. It's the one using them. But I would tell you today that the tools of social media, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, you name it, all those things that are out there, those tools of social media, while in, and I know Christians who are using them quite well. In fact, this congregation is using some of these tools to spread the gospel, to put things out, use the information highway to try to get the message out. And we can talk about some people that are benefiting from it, even in other countries from the examples that I've heard. The tools are just the tools. Be cautious, though, when you're using the tools because these tools are built to be purposefully divisive. They want to pigeonhole us into groups, quite frankly, so people can do one of two things with us. They can either sell us stuff, and that might be stuff or messages, one of the two, whatever group we're in, and if they're not selling us stuff, they'd like to learn about us and sell what they know about us to somebody else who wants to use that. Just a real quick thing, if you ever have an, a free app, that means you're the product. If you're using something for free, you are the product. And what they're learning about you is they use it. They're selling to somebody. And one of the places that information is going is to deceitful people who would just like to tear us down. Facebook, specifically, will count how much time you spent lingering on something, even if you don't click a like. How much time did Greg look at this picture? I'll show him something else like that. Now, if that's a picture of Mount Fuji with a cherry tree in front of it, no big deal, right? Other than, are they going to hack my identity? What's the picture of someone dressed in a way they shouldn't be dressed that I linger on too long? I didn't have to like it. Oh, wow, look. He looked at this for five seconds. I'll give it another day. I'll show him another one. See what happens. That's happening to you, to me. It's like fish in the pond. Bait's being thrown out. Do they, do they touch the bait or not? If they don't touch this kind of bait, guess what does the fishermen do? They get some different bait, right? Throw out the bait. Bait is there. And just an aside, why do you keep going back to Facebook? It's addictive exactly the same way as drugs are. The same thing happens in your brain wanting to go see the next thing coming up that happens when you're addicted to drugs. It's just a quick aside from the research that's going on right now. Streaming media, a whole different beast. Now, streaming media will put things in front of us that we shouldn't be watching to see if we'll watch it. And if you like something and you watch it all the way, it'll show you more programs like that. But there's another even more nefarious thing going on with streaming media. Remember what those thorns did to us in the parable of the sower? They crowded out with cares and worries of the world. You know, I've noticed in preparing for this sermon, preparing for Teach for Sean while he's going to be gone, I really haven't kept up with any of my programs I'm watching on streaming media. And I don't think they're bad programs. I haven't kept up with them. What does that mean? How much time was I spending? It, it got replaced by doing something better. That's a good thing. Greg learned a lesson in all this. How much time am I actually spending on that? Even if it's, quote, okay stuff. And if you notice the more of those things you watch on streaming media... They are all working to normalize sin in the name of tolerance. And that 
is most prominently being displayed in the LGBTQ initiatives that are out there. Can you watch a program that you don't see someone who's a hero of the program? Now, while I don't think you should have any, we know there are Christians who have been and in, in the past, and I believe now, who've been caught up in that, who have, who have thrown that off. Everybody deserves to hear the word, but I really don't want to be indoctrinated. I almost can't help but be indoctrinated with these new tools. I got to move on in time. If Satan can't get at us, who's his next target? Or even if he does get at us, who's his next target? Now we have, as you read through that slide, I'm just going to say we have some wonderful school teachers in this audience that I'm talking to you right now and some who are, are traveling. Wonderful. I, just, I have 100% confidence we're not caught up in any of these things that are happening here. I can just tell you I know enough school teachers in my life and in the things I've done with nonprofits and stuff in, in the past, even in very conservative states like Tennessee, Indiana, there are things going on with our school teachers that are preaching an agenda, trying to hack the faith of our children. And we've known this for a long time, right? The atheistic views of the, of the world have been working to hack our children for a long time. Well, so were these new agendas trying to hack our children. It's in children's media. There is an approve all things agenda. However you were born, you should be happy to celebrate anybody who's living like that. And that's, that's ultimately what the LGBTQ plus agenda is at. Do you know how many high schools have got LGBTQ clubs now? How many things are going on in that? And it doesn't have to be a public school. Digital indoctrination is happening in gamings, TikTok, chat rooms. Even this kid who killed all the kids down in Texas, where was he indoctrinated? As we learn more and more, it's part of those things. And I'm going to turn this into a very specific caution, and I put this picture up for a reason. Smartphones and smart pads are not your friend if you're a parent of a young child. The more you park them in front of that, if, it's, if the internet is, took, is turned on on that and you haven't vetted every single image, message, and song that's coming to your children through that medium, you are opening the door. You might as well, in your neighborhood, open the door to your house and, and put a sign out front that says, Child Inside, and let whoever walks off the street come in and play with your kid. Now, there might be some good people that come in and play with your kid. They're not all going to be good. An open internet connection on a device is a window that I can guarantee you Satan is working right now to try to hack our children through. And that can happen in all kinds of places, in or out of our control, if we surrender our child to someone else's control to do that. Is that to say everything on those pads is bad and it's not? No, it's not. You as a parent better know every single thing that's being put in front of your kid because there is no foolproof way to limit the content. As a mentor of mine who was known in the 70s and 80s as a world expert in training, he was also a Christian, um, he used to come to congregations and do, and do uh, work for meeting work on weekends with congregations to help parents to understand how important it was that they be actively involved in their kids' education and know what was going on, be the main conduit for Christian education for their kids, for educating them the Bible, and also help churches to support that. He used to say this example over and over again. Your child is a chalkboard. And whatever gets written on that chalkboard stays until somebody erases it. 
you as a parent better know what's being written on that chalkboard, who's the one writing it, what's their intentions, and you better have an eraser. That has never been more true than it is today. This is how children learn, and they've always learned like this, by the information that's put to them at a very impressionable age. And if we allow that to happen, we allow that open internet connection to happen without vetting it, without actually curating it to know exactly what's happening, um, don't be surprised one day if your kid is not one that's hacked. I do know what I, what I speak of in that, in that, in that arena. Paul put it really easy. Fathers, bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What's the main job you have as a parent, and specifically those of you in the, in the audience who are fathers of children at home, what is your main job? That. Not a college education, not trade school, not do they have a good job. That is the main job. And if you get off that main job, heaven help us all. So as I wind up this lesson today, we've talked about defending spiritual hacking. And I know this has not been a one, two, three points kind of lesson, but let me just tell you what I want you to walk away with. Know that the enemy is sowing seed into this world. That's bad seed. If he can't make it grow in the hearts of us or our children, he wants it to grow in somebody who's right next to them to try to be an influence on them. Do not open the door of your heart to the evil around us. Social media is one of the ways that you, you can easily do that if you're not very cautious. Our job is to shine as lights and provide a contrast to this world. Let's make sure we're doing it. Learn to recognize lies and counter them in our lives and the lives of our kids. Above all, protect your children. Know who's telling what things to them and make sure that they're being told lies that you get them out of their heart as much as you possibly can. If you're a parent, while they're in your control, I would never let them have unattended use of the internet. That's me, I'm just telling you it's that much of a wicked door. Now, that's been pretty depressing, right? Can we defend against this? Can we actually win in this whole thing? Paul tells the Ephesians, you know it, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers of this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. What do we do about all of that? We don't trust authorities. We don't trust our government. The government has its role. God talks about that. I'm not, I'm not trying to cause insurrection here. The government's not going to save us. Authorities aren't going to save us. Neither are rich people going to save us. God's armor, strapped on, ready to go, is what's going to cause us to be able to stand in that. And therefore, Paul says, take on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And that's today and having done all to stand. Last verse in the lesson will be yours. When Jesus finished interpreting the parable of the tares, he said this about that concern. I mean, aren't you concerned that God's just letting the evil happen in this world? 
That's just making my life harder, God. If you just take the evil out, it'd be easier for me to serve you. That's not what God's going to do. But Jesus told us this. The righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I take comfort in the fact that it is possible for us to be righteous, not of ourselves. We all know that. Our salvation is the gift of God. But he also can bolster our hearts, help us strap on the armor, help us, quite frankly, to, to stay at it, scattering the seed, even when it doesn't look like the seed is taking root. He can help us do all those things if we just trust him. So let's stop being hacked by the messages of the enemy and start believing the message of our Father. And today, if we can do anything to help you in that journey that you have, either in helping you with your faith, um, or if you've not become a, a child of God to, uh, to help you uh, do that today, we'd be delighted to do so as Brian stands and leads the song of invitation.